and cage fight. Someone's gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. The treasure of the Knights Templar is the treasure of all treasures. Oh, I didn't know that, really. My house is my own cage. Welcome back to Late Night Cage Fight. We're one of the many Nicolas Cage podcasts alive in the Cageverse, hoping to experience each and every one of his amazing films. Guys, we have an impossible effort ahead of us to watch all of these movies and try to understand how this Oscar-winning actor went from playing bitching bod James Dean roles to chainsawing satanic biker gangs to death. But we're going to do it. And I thank you for being with me this evening. Tonight is a very special podcast stream. Tonight we are pitting Cage's 1987 film Moonstruck with his 1989 Twilight prequel, Vampire's Kiss. (laughs) Cage fighters, before we discuss these movies, let me just ask you one question. Do you believe in life after love? I don't I know. Do. do you? I do. Yeah. Okay. That's a song, by the way. Do you remember that song that you you spoke to me in words when we were kids and for years? <laughs> years. I thought it was something you just made up at the moment. I do. Yeah. Um, and by, by years, I mean, like, we were probably <laughs> nine Whenever you said this to me, and this was in like I was 22 by the time I realized <laughs> this was a song. All the time, I would say to Steve, "Did you know that when it snows, my eyes become larger than life?" Right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say it all the time, and Steve thought I was some kind of poet genius. I was, yeah, I was living in Sylvania, and I just happened to be pulling in, and and I remember it came on the radio, and I was like. Holy shit! Yeah. Yeah, seals <laughs> kissed by a rose. Yeah, I used to love that song from the Batman soundtrack. I didn't know that. And, uh, was, it, was that movie actually made, or was that song made for that movie? See, I don't know. When I was a kid, and I would watch a movie trailer and hear this awesome song... Usually the song you would hear at the end of the credits or something. I always thought that that song was made for that movie. You know what well, I mean? Have you, seen, have you seen the music video? Yeah, right. Well, the music, yeah. It's, um, they're on the roof, right? They're in Gotham. Yeah, but the, they, like, actually filmed, like, Gotham stuff with Seal. <laughs> like, they don't do that anymore. Like, that is, that is some... 90s ass 90s music remember (laughs) do you remember i think it was mission impossible one or two maybe two metallica had a song really good song but i'm just like wow metallica watched this movie they saw the movie right before anybody else and then wrote this badass song that they put in the movie that's so cool i think the video too of course they They, tied uh, it in they downloaded it from from LimeWire. <laughs> oh, I said Napster and, and Metallica in the same sentence. I'm about to get uh, in trouble. Napster video. Napster video. They should do that. That's how you win the streaming war. Napster comes back as a as a streaming service. Yeah. 
Get out of here, Spotify, Apple Music. All right, we are discussing two very strong films here tonight. We've got Moonstruck, a very well-made romantic comedy, versus Vampire's Kiss, a wonderfully bad, now cult classic black comedy. Um, As always, yes, these are older movies. You should watch them before listening because we are going to spoil them completely. And uh, I do hate to say that both of these movies really don't deserve to be spoiled. You really should watch them. That's that's actually true. Especially Vampire's Kiss. If you love... Good luck finding a copy of Vampire's Kiss on Blu-ray. I tried, if you're a collector. It's on Prime, though. Yeah, it's, it's probably more worth your time and money <laughs> to do it that way. But I just thought by, by now, I mean, it's 2020, Vampire's Kiss should be in the Criterion Collection, you would think. HBO Max, Nicolas Cage is coming to you. All right, some updates before we get into the movies. Um, first off, I just want to say Kevin hasn't been around, as you noticed. I, I know we said he's sick. Um, you know, he's really not that sick. The The truth is Kevin has started a new business venture, and we're all very proud of him. He is uh, still in our home state of Ohio, hardworking man. And he is not going to have the time right now to be a permanent member of the podcast. I am desperately trying to reel him in for uh, some cameos in our upcoming episodes. Maybe even he could be a uh, cage lord. I'm not sure. But anyway, anyway, Kevin, we wish you all the best. And hopefully we get to see you around again soon in the podcast. And I am keeping him in our network, in our group chat. Unless you guys vote to kick him out, then I can be that guy and we can, you know, cancel the contract and make it a big deal. Um, yeah, so hopefully we get Kevin watching more Nick Cage movies soon in the future. Especially Boy in Blue, too. Boy in Blue. That that might have been it, really. Like, I'm kind of skeptical mm-hmm. he actually has this new job. I think he watched Boy in Blue and he's like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know that we can actually get rid of Kevin because he did get a certain new sponsor. Um, uh-huh. The sponsor is actually uh, cow diapers. Cow diapers? That's it. Yeah, they're pretty straightforward company. Uh-huh. Um, but if you want to keep your cow from just shitting all over everything yeah. that you love and all of your favorite clothes, cow diapers. Nice. Thank you, Cow Diapers, for supporting Late Night Nick Cage Fight. Uh, I personally use a cow diaper all the time on all of my cows that I buy from uh, cows.com. And they love them. Uh, They do a lot for the smell. And check out Cow Diapers. Is that what what I was supposed to say? Uh, I think so. Okay. Was it supposed to be two minutes or I can't remember how long we were supposed to do the ad for. I think it was $10 per word. Oh, okay. Good. But my, my mother loves them. Steve, is there any Nick Cage news to report? What's he into these days? I don't know. We're not that close anymore. Ah, oh. he doesn't answer your calls. 
Yeah, for whatever reason, we started doing the podcast, and even yeah. though he asked me repeatedly not to delve into his past, uh huh, I did it anyways, and so now he's not really talking to me anymore. Yeah, that's that's one thing I don't get about friends. Somebody says they're your friend, and it's friends forever, but then you ask them to do something, or you no, ask I'm them sorry. not to do something, okay. and they do it anyway. I'm sorry. If you want me to send you a mold casting of myself, I will do it for you. Just stop asking. Yeah. It's too big to ship. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some movies tonight, gentlemen. <laughs> We watched Moonstruck. Moonstruck. I discovered that there were two alternative titles for the film. The first one was actually Wonder Woman Moonstrike. Originally, uh, Cher was going to play Wonder Woman opposite the villainous Bread Boy, played by Nicolas Cage, a one-handed bread-slicing villain who was out to kill his own brother and mother. Uh, They scrapped that idea pretty quickly, and they went then for Sex in the City for Old People. The test audiences weren't cool with that. Uh, they, the producers said, okay, let's just cut the superhero stuff, make it more Italian, add some Dean Martin music, and we'll call it Moonstruck. I did hear, I, I did hear that um, for HBO Max, uh, because there's been such an outcry that they are doing the, uh, the Norman Jewison cut of Moonstruck. They've allocated uh, $5 billion for reshoots, uh, and bo- both both Cage and Cher are reprising their roles in, in the additional scenes. So, uh, Are they yes. going to do any kind of uh, digital post-production editing to make them look younger, or are they just going to... Oh, they, they're sparing no expense. I, it, you know, you know, it... But, you know, you have to be an HBO Max member. I see. Only way to see it. Yeah. And they're actually cutting it up into uh, episodes um, in, instead of a, a feature length, uh, because this is how it was originally envisioned. I yeah. myself am. I'm just I got so tired of with TV specifically. I'm watching a show, episode drops. I have to wait next week for the next episode. Just give me the whole series at once. I can sit down, watch it, and then next week I forget about it. And I watch another series. And I do that until I'm dead. And I think that is that is the American, the American dream. dream. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you all a brief rundown of Moonstruck right after tonight's Nick List. Nick Cage plays an unhappy baker who can't afford a cyborg hand to replace the one he accidentally cut off while slicing bread. In the throes of depression, he asks his co-worker Chrissy to, quote, Bring me the big knife so I can cut my throat. Bring me the big knife, I'm gonna cut my throat. After a night of fiery passion, Cher feels bad about sleeping with her fiancé's younger brother, Nick Cage. So Cage's character tries to apologize and asks for just one more date, a night out at the opera with the love of his life. After that, he'll never bother her ever again. When they meet at the opera, he tries to kiss her. No, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the opera, just like you said. So after the opera, he takes her to the bar. I want to go home, she tells him. Of course, 
Nick Cage then walks her home. Sorry, I, I mean to his apartment, and says, I want you in my bed. I don't care if I burn in hell. I don't care if you burn in hell. I don't care why you come. No, that's not what I mean. Look, I want you to come upstairs with me and get in my bed. Storybooks are bullshit. Now I want you to come upstairs with me and and get in my bed. That's all I've got for the, the Nick list. Um... There's some more stuff, though, but th those were really the uh, the two super hot Nick Cage scenes in Moonstruck for me. So let's jump into the story of Moonstruck. I'm still just amazed by by the casting. I, I cannot believe it's it. I, there's a movie with Nick Cage, Cher sure. and Donald Trump. <laughs> Amazing. Who's Donald Trump? Is, is that Danny Aiello? The. Uh... Her that's, fiance? Yeah, that's Cher's. Yeah, Cher's fiance, Nick's brother. Okay. Right. Okay. I, why? Please, Steve. Why is? Was that? Was that not him? I, I, I just felt noticed like he... all the, the the mannerisms and the. Okay. Actually, it, it, it was very much. It was Alec Baldwin playing Donald Trump. That's really what it was. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can go. I can roll with that, Steve. Yeah. I can roll with that. Yeah. Let's jump into the story of Moonstruck. Cher, Cher the singer plays down on her luck Loretta Castorini, a bookkeeper from Brooklyn, New York, whose first husband died a few years ago after getting hit by a bus. Her current beau, played by the tremendous Danny Aiello, Donald Trump, uh, rest his soul. He actually died only six months ago, I found out. Excellent actor. We'll trade him Trump. For the new ones? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll resurrect him, but then, you know, give the, we'll sacrifice Trump, at, you know. Um, Danny Aiello's character proposes to share Loretta at a restaurant before flying solo to Sicily to be with his dying mother. Before he leaves, he instructs Loretta to contact his estranged brother and beg him to come to the wedding. Family is family, right? Cage's character, Ronnie Camareri, hangs up on Loretta when she calls, forcing her to seek him out in person. When they meet, the two quickly fall in love with, e with each other, in a night of heated passion at Loretta's apartment. In the morning, Loretta regrets the whole thing and wants to move on with her plan to marry Ronnie's brother, Cosmo Castorini. Donald Trump. Danny Aiello. Ronnie is so in love with Loretta, he negotiates with her one night together at the opera, and then he'll never see her again. She reluctantly agrees. In the meantime, Loretta's older family members experience their own personal encounters with love and marriage. Her father, an unhappy plumber played by actor Vincent Gardenia, is having an affair with Loretta's mother, played by the inimitable Olympia Dukakis, who's amazing in this movie. On the night of the opera, Loretta abruptly runs into her father, also attending the performance with his secret mistress, leading to an awkward scene of shock and surprise at one another's revealed infidelity. In the final penultimate kitchen table scene, Loretta's mother reveals to the father she knows about his mistress and that he needs to stop seeing her. This after having her own question answered about why men chase women. Uh, he appears to come to his senses and agrees. Ronnie Cage appears then to... Con to confront his brother, who has returned from Sicily after their mom has miraculously recovered from her grave illness. And he has taken this as a sign that he should no longer marry the unlucky Loretta, 
who initially is offended by this pronouncement made in front of the entire family, even though she's already decided that she's not going to marry him anyway because she wants to marry Nick Cage. I mean, come on, it's Nick Cage. But anyway, in the end, we just we, we are left with a very happy Italian family who now welcome their newest member, Nicolas Cage. That, in a nutshell, is Moonshaker. Moonraker. Moonchild. Moonchild. Moon. Racing the Moon Cage. Moonwalker with Michael Jackson. Moonstruck. That's the story. I know I missed, I, I jumped over some of the, the side plots, so to speak, and and what have you, but that is the gist of this romantic comedy. Romance. I do want to say this, though. I, I rented the DVD. Well, I can't say that anymore. Who rents DVDs? I checked the DVD out at the library, and uh, I popped it in the DVD player, and the first thing that came up, you want to guess? You wouldn't steal a car. <laughs> you wouldn't murder your wife. You wouldn't nuke your hometown. Don't pirate Nick Cage movies. I got pirate shamed. It's been a while since I've been pirate shamed. Nice. Mm. Um, the second shot of the B-roll in the intro credits is of the World Not Trade lost. Center. <laughs> what? No. I thought it was kind of interesting. We see the World Trade Center in one of the first shots, the opening shots of this, and also in Vampire's Kiss. Fulfilling, I'm going to get religious here. Please don't be offended. But this is proof that there. it's one of the nine prophecies of Cage predicting the film career of St. Nicholas, as well as the upcoming spaghetti rapture of the dead Cage scrolls found in Barbados in 1669. So we are on our way to the Cage apocalypse. And I was just very proud to see that. Something else I noticed. Why the balls does this movie not have an Italian language track? There's... <laughs> or, or, or subtitles for all of the Italian moments. Sure. But there's English, of course. I think on this right. DVD there was also Spanish and French. There's no oh. Italian. Yeah, I knew that. I was just making sure you knew that. I would argue that this movie is heavily, heavily targeted towards Italian-Americans, and yeah, I, I think most of them speak English, so... That's true. I think they're good. They got it. I still wanted to spin this as racist, somehow. Because actually, I am something of an Italian-American... My grandmother, great-grandmother, were both Italian. And this movie was kind of nostalgic for me. It reminded me of my childhood being around them. And so uh, I kind of had, I guess, an attraction to that part of the film. So I, I have to admit, when it comes to the cage fight portion of this podcast, I may be a little biased, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, it, it struck it struck a special moon with me because of that. I felt like the movie really captured the feel of the Italian family, the, the Italian food that I remember. 
a very realistic uh, portrayal of the homes. I think that's one thing I really liked was the sets. You know, they really look, it really looks like it was shot just in these people's homes in Brooklyn. But the way that the camera moves suggests to me that, that it wasn't, that it had to be set. I could be wrong. I'm not a film expert, but, you know, all of the, just the pictures on the walls and the religious iconography that you see in Italian homes and the, the kitchen where was very genuine. And I thought that was, that was cool. Felt realistic. So I really enjoyed the look and feel of uh, this movie. It does seem to have a special magic. Um, shall we talk about Nicolas Cage and his role as uh, Ronnie? What did you guys think of that? I honestly thought that he was, at least for me, because I don't have, I don't have Italian heritage. I'm, uh, I, I'm half Greek, and and you know anyone who knows history knows that the uh, the Romans conquered the Greeks, and uh, you know they, and, and and they you know they they raped the Greeks and turned into uh, Italians. This is going to be so, a really great fight later. So uh, I, f- I found that part of the movie highly, highly offensive. Uh, oh, you were offended by it. Yes. Uh, speaking, uh, you mentioned uh, racism. I, I, yeah, I found that part of it highly offensive for me and my Spartan brethren. Do you want to talk about my big fat Greek wedding? There's a couple sequences in there that I think could have been cut out, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's the sub the sub cage fight. A what fight? No, but the sub cage fight. Sub cage fight. The fight within a fight. No, but <laughs> no, but uh, it, in all seriousness, though, I I'm not really that big of a fan of romantic comedies in general. So really, uh, for me personally, I thought Cage's performance was kind of you know the only thing that really was keeping me engaged personally um but i also felt you know like it is we do get some good cage in this movie but it's minimal the the one scene with the the grab your knife that that was to me i thought the most entertaining scene in the entire movie uh (laughs) It's it just goes along with this trend we've seen where it's it's always one of the first scenes with Nick that you get just something amazing. We had a right from the movie. We had like the yeah, we had like the almost the blacksmith kind of look to him where it was just <laughs> just right there from behind with them shoveling things in and trying to look tough. Yeah. I, I really hoped to find in the background a uh, fantasy battle axe somewhere yeah that's what it, yeah that's what it seemed like it seemed more like a, a blacksmith or a coal miner or something or no yeah i didn't it's know that connect. i didn't know baking bread was such a manly profession but he definitely made it manly uh, the other thing too is the whole uh you know he, he accidentally cut part of his hand off right he he yeah. 
put it in the slicer. And this was when he was going to get married to some other girl. And it's an important plot point because after he cuts his hand off, his fiance leaves him. And so at the point when she Cher... doesn't want to be with a cripple. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Some of the, some of that stuff in this movie just makes me wonder like, man, maybe she wasn't meant for you. She's going to leave you for that. And then plus he's got this really just kind of sinister looking false hand now. It's like I he's, I, that was a bizarre choice in my opinion. Well, yeah, what I'm getting at is uh, I honestly believe this is his choice. This was one of his inputs. It's got to be. It's, you, oh, absolutely. No, if it was his choice, it would have been the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> Probably. He, he, was on the, he was given an option of what was on the table, and he picked the most ridiculous yeah. thing. There we go. Yeah, it wasn't a bad scene. I personally thought that uh, Nick did a, a good job portraying this character. Um, in his own way. In his own, yeah. There, there are some moments where I feel like he's kind of pushing the limits for me in terms of believability and how men can talk to women specifically. Of course, again, this is an '80s movie. Times were different. Courting, wow. dating was different. Go ahead. I was. Just, I mean, on the same note, though, there's like a lot of. Uh... There was that side guy, right? The the professor dude that yeah. hit on our mom. Let's, you want to talk right? about that scene? Let's talk about that scene. Well, there's multiple scenes. Okay. Right? Because he's you see him throughout the movie. Once very early on with uh, where she sees him and says mm-hmm. that that girl's too young for him. Yeah. Cher right? is in the restaurant towards the beginning of, beginning of the movie and sitting behind them is a professor at, uh, I think, NYU who was getting, um, he's, he's, uh, he's talking to this, one of his students actually, and says something crass to her. I don't remember. And she gets upset and dumps water in his face and leaves. (laughs) So that happens. It's very quick. And then later in the movie, there's another scene where it's Loretta's mom who has gone to eat at that restaurant by herself because she's kind of depressed after the realization that, she's being cheated on. And so she's there by herself. And then again, this same professor character is with another much younger um, girl, one of his students. And she gets upset again, a a different girl throws the water on his face and leaves. And then Cher's mother strikes up a conversation with him and invites him to have dinner with her. Yeah. they, They have something of a discussion and then walk home together and it's kind of, it's interesting. What, what did you want to say about that in particular? Well, I, I, it's funny because the, the general dynamic of your, of your lead characters, right? There's mm-hmm. like an 18 year difference between Nick Cage and Cher. And there's like Is it really that much? Stuff. Yeah. And then there's like a 30 year difference between him and, uh, what's his name? Danny, the Johnny, the original fiance, his brother. Oh, right. And there's 30 years between Nick and his brother. Is there so, really? Yeah, yeah you're probably there's right. huge age differences mm-hmm. there. So I think that's kind of funny that they make a point of the secondary character to point that out, yet never address it. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, that's... So it's almost like this movie was cougar bait or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, you see that young gentleman right there? I'd love to lick his body. That's my son. 
It you was, don't agree? Well, I think it was an important scene. It was uh, mm-hmm. meant to. Yeah. It was meant to illustrate like um, our own limitations and and uh, ex- our managing our expectations of love, what we think marriage and love should be, versus the reality of it. And I th- I thought it was interesting how the professor character he was again turned down by the younger girl. And because this lady has struck up a conversation with him, he then suddenly feels like it's his place to start trying to seduce her. I could go to my apartment. You see how the other half lives. I'm too old for you. Steve, uh, isn't it time for another word from our sponsor? I believe so. Do you have the next one? No, I I thought you had a good one. The U.S. government. <laughs> the United States Space Force. Space Force is uh, sponsoring this. Um, they are about to have their, their first launch um, next week. I don't know if we're actually allowed to talk about that. Um, they're not doing anything. Uh, everything's safe. Don't worry about it. No big deal. But you know, the numbers are high. Really high. The highest. Astronomically high. Like nobody's ever counted that high. Like how high? Exactly. With Snoop Dogg. What did I miss? Who did I miss? We're just introducing our sponsor, Space Force. Oh, Space Force. Good. Yeah. Space Force Coast to Coast. Mm Mm-hmm. Now streaming on HBO Max. What did you guys feel about the chemistry between Cher Cher. and Cage, their characters? So ironically enough, Cher Cher was the one that asked for Cage to play the role of Ronnie. Shut the front door. The studio heads actually wanted Peter Gallagher to play. Interesting. I don't I don't know who that is. She uh, yeah, she uh, said Nick can play crazy better. Or more realistically, sorry. Huh. See. This was my thinking. I thought that this was a role that came into uh, Uncle Francis's radar. That's what I would think. You know, he's like, Nick, you got to do one of these Italian movies. You know, you got to just do this for your career. It's Cher's going to be in it. It's going to be great. You'll be the you'll be the James Dean guy again. She fought for Cage. She insisted she would not do the movie without him. Interesting. Was that like was that like the first time ever that uh... (laughs) a. (laughs) That <laughs> anyone ever wanted him in a movie? That a co-actress uh, was just like, that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we she could... was old enough that she knew he wouldn't try to go after her. Or at least not. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. She'd have to be at least like half the age. Yeah. I feel good for Cage. Because this yeah. was this was a important role for his career. It was a, a successful movie. Roger Ebert liked it. Actually, Cher won an Academy Award for her role Mm -hmm. in this. I'm not sure if Nick was nominated, but I thought maybe there had been some kind of competition between them. Not that there necessarily had to be, but in my mind, I thought it would be interesting if there was, because she had already been nominated at this point for a movie called Mask, I think. 
I've seen it before. It's really good. She's great in it. And I don't believe he'd been nominated yet for an Academy Award. He has only been, according to uh, Google, he was nominated for Best Actor. G- Adap- was it G- Adap- G-Force? Yes, for Best Picture. No, in 2003, uh, Adaptation. Yeah, he he was nominated in 2003, but he actually won in 1996 for Leaving Las Vegas. What was he nominated for other than that? Was it just those two? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Really? Not even for Face Off or Con Air or The Rock. Damn, son. Wait, he he helped birth The Rock? Yeah. He was there that day? There no, he, he's The Rock's dad. That explains so much, especially Jumanji. I'm glad I put Steve on research. <laughs> so, um, Nick, also the uh, acting style that he was channeling during this movie uh-huh. was actually inspired by uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Okay. Yeah. See, this is the weird thing about Nicolas Cage. He and I have super similar interests. Like, what? Yeah, no, I, I have more comments on that, but it, it'll come. It'll come in the next movie. I feel like we would be on the same wavelength if we were ever in the same room having a conversation about movies and stuff. It's just he has an ego, probably like nothing we've ever seen before. So I, I'll just I'll just throw it in here now. So I as I was watching the next movie, Vampire's Kids. I sent Reese a text because he he sent me a copy of the video, but it had commentary on it. Yeah. And I was pissed because it was it was commentary. But as I started getting into it, um, I actually for the very much the same reasons I actually really started liking it because it was honestly like sitting there talking with you about the movie, just listening to the way Cage talks about it and the way that the director just ripped on him throughout the whole movie. Really. <laughs> Really? I've got to really, listen to it was, this. It was, it was pretty fantastic. He just kept like making jabs at it. It was like 30 minutes into the movie. It was like, right? It was, I text you about 20 minutes in because uh-huh. I was like, just, I'll just deal with it. I was trying to mess yeah. around with it. But I text you and then like a few minutes later, he's just, and, and Nick's just like, I don't, I don't know. What did I do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> oh just, man, just that's great. Just like defeated sound to his voice. Yeah, that's so funny. It was, yeah. You know, as much as an ego that Cage has, I've heard that in more recent years, uh, he's actually gotten a lot more sensitive about people making jokes about him. Oh, no. And the Chuck Norris. And, yeah. And, and supposedly his uh, his agent is like especially protective of him. Yeah. He's just he, he is. He's an amazing actor. He's just, he's got, I mean, one of the, one of the most diverse repertoire. I, I, what am I trying to say? If you add up all of the roles he's played, what other actor has played as many just various roles in such a way? Oh. That's, that's why we love Nick Cage. I mean. Cuba Gooding Jr. is the only other one. 
Don't make, don't make me watch all his movies too, Sean. I already agreed to doing this. I can't keep doing these things for you. We're doing it for you, Kevin. It is for you, Kevin. R.I.P. Moonstruck. Anything else you guys want to add? Anything else you liked? Before we jump to Vampire's Kiss, a very different movie. No? I... What about... Sean. Sean. <laughs> I may be misremembering it, and this was because I... I didn't get a chance to rewatch Moonstruck again uh, before doing this podcast. Um, but wasn't there some scene where they were arguing in like a basement or something? I could have sworn I remembered a good like cage out moment. Arguing in a basement. I hope you're not just thinking the original of... bread spin. Yeah, just the bread scene when she goes yeah. in the basement to meet him for the first time. I might be thinking of another movie. There's there's a very important basement scene in Vampire's Kiss that we're going to talk about. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> yeah, let's see. The only other really big cage out, what, what am I trying to say, conflict scene, I think, is the one where they're outside his apartment. And he has um, that line about snowflakes and love isn't what you think love is. It's not a storybook kind of love. And, you know, all that lovey-dovey talk. I... I don't really think he sold it that well, but it wasn't terrible. I, I did look through Roger Ebert's review that he had written, and he actually thought that uh, Cage was great and deserved to be nominated for an Academy Award. I don't quite agree, but I don't see a reason to really heavily criticize his performance in the movie. And it, like you said, Sean, he's really not in it that much. And um, but he was the draw for you. Now, for me, I really liked all of the other scenes. I liked seeing the the exchanges between the family members um, and their relationships and their stories. I thought were interesting and, and relatable to most people and kind of romantic in a mature way and and slightly funny. And how it all turns out in the end, because it's it's quirky, you know, how they're all um, having affairs and trying to hide them. But, you know, family, they figure everything out about everyone. And in the end, all is revealed. I did kind of feel like it was a bit of a letdown when uh, the brother comes home and says he no longer wants to marry her because she's bad luck. Right. Is that really the reason she's bad luck? And so he thinks that he shouldn't marry her in order for uh, his mom to live. Right. Honestly, the in reality, the movie itself is kind of confusing and and felt sort of rushed, even for a romantic comedy to uh -huh. me. It, yeah. It just seemed like there wasn't a good escalation climax. Yeah. Back down, everything just kind of ended abruptly. Yeah, it felt like it was leading up to a really powerful kind of climactic yeah. scene, and yeah, um, it just never came. Yeah, it never came, or they they didn't wanted to come because they wanted to be more they wanted to keep that light-hearted romantic yeah. tone maybe yeah it did it did yeah. seem to have an abrupt kind of neat and tidy ending but you know whatever it works i thought Cher, Cher was great um wasn't the climax the uh the kitchen scene that's what we're talking about yeah yeah the whole family in the kitchen yeah eating yeah. spaghetti 
Get a love bite on your neck. He's coming back this morning. What's the matter with you? Your life's going down the toilet. Cover up that damn thing. Come on, put some makeup yeah, on right, it. All right. Oh, okay, fine. I'm, I'm disappointed that there wasn't a, uh, a Bob Hoskins cameo uh, to reprise his his favorite role from uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. I know. Yeah. Because uh, Cher's dad was a plumber already. He had to know the Mario Bros. Same universe. Last thing I want to say about Moonstruck is mention the moon. The moon plays an important role in the movie itself. Uh, One of the family friends, I don't remember if he's an uncle, family friend, guy who works at, uh, you know, the, the store. He recounts the story of the of the time when um, before Cher's dad married Cher's mom. The moon was big and bright and beautiful and full, and underneath it was underneath it was uh, Cher's dad standing outside of her window, singing to her or something like that. Some connection with the moon, and he'd never seen the moon that big ever since. Until another scene where he does see it as big. And gets super turned on and uh, has uh, sex with his wife. Very romantic. Like in that scene in uh, Bruce Almighty. Another. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Wow. Oh, never seen the moon that big. Yeah. Oh, we really shouldn't waste it. Yeah. That's why it's called Moonstruck, everybody. If the moon is big. So is- if the moon is big, <laughs> white, and beautiful, it's time. It's time to make love. I just—I thought you were going to say something else is big and white and beautiful. Yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that. I didn't want to go oh. too far. I think I already did. But uh, yeah, if you like Moonstruck, though, see Moonchild. Great uh, Hong Kong esque action flick. <laughs> go see. It's got vampires. It's also about family. Um, got some Matrix shit in it. Check it out. Or uh, Moon, moon Raper by uh, Ben Affleck. Or just the Moon by NASA. Oh, dude, I love that one. I go outside and I'll just sometimes it's projected into the sky. I don't know yeah. where the projector is, but man, it yeah. looks so good. And I'll just watch it and see if they. It's something else in, on the projector. It's the fucking birds. Moon landing, best CG. Should have won the Academy Award. The, yeah, th- still I watched that and I'm impressed at how they did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was I mean, that technology back then? I think it was in Maya. They used Maya for that. Did they? Yeah. Not Mayan people. You mean the Maya software? Yeah. No, the Mayan race. The fact that they disappear is just yeah. hoax. Right. Convenient and inconvenient yeah. truth. Yeah. Illuminati. Yeah. That that's what that uh that one Mel Gibson movie's about. Oh. Yeah. Apocalyptoid? Yeah. About the, the making of the moon landing. That's a good one. Yeah. My kids wanted to watch Pocahontas one night and I said, nah, let's watch the real thing. <laughs> and we watched Apocalypto and uh I now get to see them once a month. (laughs) Moonstruck, everybody. Great film. Before we jump into Vampire's Kiss, Sean recently checked out the extras 
the deleted scenes from Color Out of Space. Uh, was there anything there to highlight? There were a couple things. Uh, yeah, I as I've said, I did purchase the Color Out of Space uh, Blu-ray, I'm which pr- has I'm proud of you. Thank you. Support your local blockbuster. Yes. Moonstruck and, uh, is also four ninety nine right now on iTunes. Get it now. They're not paying me to say that. Back to you, Sean. Yes. Uh, one thing that I can confirm, as Steve said, we do get a cage handstand. I've got to see it. I need to see it, too. Is it worth it? So, I guess not. Eh. Eh. So basically, there's a reason it's a deleted scene. Yeah. Okay. It, it's not that great. So it's called Nathan Starts to Act Strange. And it's a scene where they're all in the, the, the bedroom upstairs and the whole family's there. And he, he starts, you know, kind of talking a little atypically. He's not... It's not a full cage out yet. Okay. But he starts doing jumping jacks. And then, you know, while he's talking, he twice he tries to do a handstand against the wall for reasons. And that's pretty much it. It wasn't an actual speech, really. Uh, But... I think, uh, actually, the best deleted scene was probably without Cage. Um, Impossible. It, <laughs> I, I was kind of surprised. But Jonah Hill's back. You know, he, he's, he's taken the alpacas for a walk. He's, uh, you, know, you know, smoking, smoking some of that, uh, yeah, some of those, those reggae cigarettes. Uh, From the neighbor? Yeah. yeah. And, uh... You know, he and he's just kind of talking to the alpacas and starts talking about like purple dragons or something. And I would have kept that it. in. Yeah, that was solid. Yeah, there there was a somewhat entertaining scene with uh, with Tommy Chong talking to the hydrologist. It, I wouldn't say that it was funny. It was I don't know. It was he was good. It, he, he did his thing. Uh, yeah, and honestly, the other, all the other scenes were kind of forgettable. I mean, there, there's really only about, I think, like 15 minutes of deleted scenes, so you're not really mi- missing much, but... Yeah. For me, it's always a gamble when I check out deleted scenes for movies. Um, one example I have for you is Ridley Scott, who I love. Nearly his movies, but uh, Gladiator. I remember I was so pumped to watch the extended director's cut of Gladiator with however many minutes added back in, forty plus minutes, I want to say. And then I watched that for the first time, and and I just remember seeing all of these scenes and thinking to myself, "Yeah, that could have been cut. Yeah, that's sorry, that should have been cut." But then he's got that other movie, Kingdom of Heaven, which I didn't think was that great. But he released a director's cut of that, which is it improves the movie significantly. So that's just one example I have for you guys. But thank you Ridley for watching. Scott. Ridley Scott. I, I really liked him in, in Metroid. 
Did you? Yeah. I thought it I thought it was cool that he convinced Miyamoto to let Russell Crowe do the the mocap for for Kraid. Yeah. That was a big passion pineapple project. I only have one complaint about Ridley Scott, a very serious accusation, and I don't want to get sued, but from what I see, he's never worked with Nicolas Cage directly in any film. And that cannot be allowed in Hollywood. Working in film this long, how long has Nick Cage been making movies, right? It's kind of, you know, and Ridley Scott's got some great movies. I don't want people to think that, you know, I'm talking all big because I'm not a, a filmmaker. I'm not. But, um, Vampire's Kiss? Vampire's Kiss. What a, what a film. Where do we start? Whew. He was an ordinary guy. Morning, everyone. Morning. Looking for an extraordinary love. I'm Peter Lev. Rachel. I brought this girl up to my place the other night. It started with a kiss. Really hot. A very special kiss. You wanted her very badly. Yeah. A kiss that could drive you mad. I hate interrupted love affairs, don't you? Yeah. Bring me yeah. the big yeah. knife. I'm gonna cut my throat. It's affecting his work. There you are. It's a horrible horrible job and you have to do it it's ruining his appetite my next appointment with you is uh tuesday afternoon i'd like to make it sooner it's spoiling his sleep fuck you sooner. Fuck off. and don't sure. think people haven't noticed am i getting rid of you over he is so eccentric my mind for peter lowe that's just love. Love, love. In the big city. Yeah! Don't laugh. I'm a professional. I don't laugh. I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! Nicholas Cage. Maria Conchita Alonso. Shoot. Do it or I'll fire you. Do you understand? Not the floor, Alva. And Jennifer Beals. You are so pathetic. Vampire's Kiss. Strange stuff. I'll never do that again. Jeez. Vampire's Kiss is pure cage uncaged. It is the unleashing of the cage. I would argue that this movie is essentially if you took, like, the room and just made... Nicolas Cage, the main actor, and added vampires. You know, it really has a room feel to it. It's so bizarre. I, I love it. <laughs> I really want to know, Steve. You've listened to the commentary, so you have more insight into this. One of his one of his first lines in the movie is about the Fantastic Four. He's talking to his girlfriend. He's taking home. And they're talking about comic books. And I'm like, did, did Nick Cage write this too? Was he allowed to just ad-lib the whole time? Because you know that's him. Well, he talked about uh, Galactus in Mandy too. Exactly. All, 
All I'm saying is that when Marvel Studios does the Fantastic Four reboot in a few years, if Cage does not make some kind of appearance, like even if it's a villain or whatever, I mean, he, he has proven that he can do the superhero thing. I mean, he he did a very good job in Kick-Ass, I would argue. Excellent. Yeah. So I, I, I could see that happening. It would be a travesty if he's not in it. He clearly, clearly is very passionate about the Fantastic Four. I know. Well, and you know he had a huge comic book collection. Millions of dollars worth of comic books. Did not know that. Oh, you didn't? And it was stolen from him at one point. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's an interesting story. Someone stole his comic books worth millions of dollars, and he had to hunt them down, and I think he eventually did. And then I think he had to sell them anyway because he was he was in debt. Anyway, Vampire's Kiss, 1988, 1989, somewhere around then. It's time for the Nick List. And it's going to be a long one. So buckle Whoa. your seatbelts. Nicholas Cage brings girl home from the bar. They are both attacked by a wild bat. Nick Cage shoes away the bat and later tells his therapist the bat turned him on. Pro tip, when Nicholas Cage asks you to find his files, you find his files, damn it! Am I getting through to you, Alpha? Nicholas Cage brings new girl home from the bar. Oops. She's a vampire, and she bites. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, in another scene with Dr. Glazer, tells her that, no, he was actually already horny when he saw the bat and drunk, too. It was no big deal. Nicholas Cage loses it over a pink napkin left at his apartment with the words, stay out of my life, after ditching his girlfriend, not once, but twice. And I mean loses it. Cue epic scene of Nick Cage smashing stuff. What is happening to me? Nicholas Cage starts wearing sunglasses to work because he's turning into a vampire. Nicholas Cage collapses when walking beneath a neon cross because he's turning into a vampire. Nicholas Cage finds a cockroach in his apartment and he eats it. Why? Because that's what vampires do. When office secretary slash punching bag Alva finally finds the contract Cage has been looking for, I'm sorry, it's too late. As a thank you for finding the missing contract, Nicolas Cage chases Alva into the basement and commands her to shoot him. If she refuses, he will rape her. <laughs> Nicolas Cage tries to blow his own brains out, but he can't because Alva filled the chamber with blanks. I mean, no, because he's a vampire. <laughs> Nicolas Cage flips over his couch to use it as a coffin and chews on a pillow because his teeth hurt because he's a vampire. 
<laughs> Nicolas Cage buys cheap plastic vampire teeth because he wants to see what he'll look like as a vampire. Nick Cage abducts a pigeon, takes it home, and eats it because he's a vampire and that's what vampires do. <laughs> Nick Cage murders a lady at a rockin' 80s dance club by chewing her neck off because he's a vampire. Nick Cage breaks off a wooden stake from a discarded pallet and asks strangers to kill him with it. I'm a vampire. Kill me. Kill me. Nick Cage finally receives his wish when Alva's brother breaks into his, his apartment and impales Nicolas Cage with the wooden stake in revenge for attempting to rape his sister. Vampire's Kiss, 1989. That's like the whole movie right there. Yeah. <laughs> Man. I have a theory. I have a theory about this movie, all right? The extras in the movie. They are super special. When you watch this movie, watch the people in the background. I have a theory that some of them, they weren't extras at all. They were just people fucking walking around New York City. And they <laughs> the camera. So you're not you're not wrong. Are you serious? You're, you're not wrong. So there are two there are two layers to the extras, right? In one case, because they have a very low budget, some of them are actually people that work for them, from their producers uh -huh. to people that were out there on set. But then the others, for instance, a scene very near the end when he's walking with the stake down the road, okay. down the street, yeah. remember the, the black guy that like jumps out of his, or the two people that, that jump out of the way? Uh -huh. They are legit hobos. <laughs> <laughs> They're filming with a long distance lens and nobody knows and Nick's just walking around New York and the hobos are terrified of him. <laughs> Do they know that they they are entitled to a check? <laughs> My God. Well, there's a there's a scene when Nick Cage angrily marches out of the diner with his uh, his wound from, you know, either cutting his neck, shaving or the vampire bit him. And there's an old guy walking in who's like, are, are you all right? And I'm just like, that guy wasn't acting. That's just a dude. No, so there are a lot of like little moments like that that the director purposely put in there. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of like little one-line characters mm -hmm. that are just supposed to give some interesting element to to question the psychosis. Yeah. Yeah. The the best one for me is when Nick Cage chases Alva, the secretary, into the women's bathroom, and there's an old. Nick <laughs> <laughs> even said that. There's so an the old lady in there. Like I love that woman. She says, she's like, what the hell is going on here? What the fuck is going on? I swear to God. Then she looks right at the camera and yeah. leaves. Yeah. It kind of scared me. It's like, she's not an actress. Yeah. That's a real old lady in the bathroom. <laughs> and then the weird ones were, uh, you remember the mimes outside his apartment? This is, I guess, when they're yeah. just adding weird stuff, surreal artsy yeah. imagery what did they the say director, about that he even commented on it because i don't know what i was thinking at that moment because <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i'm thinking like there's a lot yeah. of street art going on and this is yeah this whole movie is uh it's an acid trip of a movie and it's kind of meta in that sense as well that uh there's a there's a part where 
Nick Cage says that uh, his character, his character's name's Mr. Lowe. Uh, Peter? Peter, Peter! How could I forget? Peter? You've come to see me again, Peter. I'm your therapist. Peter works for some publishing company. There's really, it's, it's such a simple movie, really. He's some kind of executive for a publishing company. He likes to, he, well, first of all, he talks with this crazy, whacked out accent I've never heard before. He likes to go out and party. He's single. Um, and it's it kind of like when you watch the movie, it, it starts right off. It hits the ground running. He brings this girl home from the bar. And while they're in his apartment, this bat flies in. And you get this comical scene of him trying to fight the bat off. He, he seems to, yeah, I'm sorry. I did say that. Shoo, shoo, shoo. The bat off. Away. <laughs> is unable to. So then they leave and you just, I guess the bat, right, is still in the apartment. And then when he comes back later, the bat has seemingly transformed into this beautiful vamp, vampiress seductress who uh, bites into his neck and it's too late for him at that point. So he's just like, okay, just bite my neck. I like it now. I don't know if I'm going to die or turn into a vampire or what. But then in the morning, man, he doesn't even have a wound. It's like, it was this a dream? I don't know. But he cuts himself shaving. So now all of a sudden he has a wound there where a vampire bite could be. And then the rest of this movie is just descending into this kind of acid trip, this uh, psychological kind of experiment where you don't know what's real what's not if he's going crazy if there's really a vampire until you're just like okay this whole thing is just a ridiculous campy comedy that maybe it doesn't even matter i mean should i continue with what happens he i've already mentioned all of the things that um that makes him think he's a vampire pretty much there's a part where he sees he he's looking at himself in the mirror and we see his reflection, but apparently he can't see his own reflection. So I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. And he, he just plays this role with such a wild ferocity. And then the other crazy part about it is the whole story, the whole plot with the secretary who's just trying to do her job. She's just he asks her to find a file a contract and it's it's kind of an ambitious project because she has to go through i don't know several a dozen file folders to find this contract and he just gets more and more pissed off about it and abuses her more and more Truly, what we're supposed to understand from this movie is that everything that happens is entirely her fault right <laughs> Like, no, it's, it's, it, it was funny kind of listening because evidently um, there was feedback from like the initial viewings of this that everybody loved how abusive he was there. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, re I read that too. Yeah. They just thought it was yeah. so hilarious. This yeah. nice lady. Because like these things happen. And so mind you, the, the commentary track that I actually listened to, it was like 11 years after the movie, right? They were going back and we were watching it together. It was just the director and Nick. And yeah, that's a lot of what they're talking about. They're like, you know, rape thing. I mean, we don't we don't want to over dramatize it, but we want to make sure that it's real there. That way, we don't yeah let it go. Yeah, and and man, it's it's an uncomfortable scene when he's got her in the basement and 
she has the gun out and she looks she looks terrified. I mean, she's really acting. It's not yeah. it's not like um an airplane kind of you know what I mean? That that kind of uh comedy. It's a black comedy where characters act like it's reality. So you're really seeing a woman who's terrified for her life with holding a gun, clutching it, and she says, Are you gonna rape me? And he says, Ah, I'm gonna rape you. Ah. And then it's like, okay, that is scary. That's uncomfortable. But, alright, what's gonna happen next? Maybe it's not gonna cross the line, and you kind of feel like, alright, well, we're cool now. It's not gonna be that uncomfortable. Then he tears off her shirt, her blouse. It's like, okay, what's going on? And then they kind of treat it like she actually was raped, right? She tells her brother that she was. Yeah, I mean... And then he admits to the therapist, he says that, oh, yeah, I, I raped a woman two days ago. Yeah. I'm like, oh. I'm glad that we didn't see the whole thing then. Or maybe he just means, maybe that assault, that sexual assault is being considered as a as rape. I don't know, but um, there's I, unclear. probably probably the reason why this isn't in the Criterion Collection right there. Yeah. So evidently, whenever he went to take this movie, his agent tried to talk him out of it, said that this is just nuts uh-huh. and he shouldn't do it. And so he actually backed out of it. Okay. And so they tried to replace him, I think, with uh, Judd Nelson. All right. Um, who, I don't know, couldn't do it. Backed out as well, something along those lines. But Nick ended up just saying, "No, I'm going to do it." So he called back and yeah, and, and took the role, obviously. Right. See, I thought in the end, what would happen is uh, Nick Cage's character would die. That was obvious to me. And then all of a sudden, we would find out that Alva was pregnant, and then she would give birth to a baby bat. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how Cage antagonizing her throughout the whole movie and there's a, there's the scene where the client who throughout the whole thing he's like yeah if we don't find this file then the client's going to go to another firm and and the client basically calls just like yeah you know I just wanted to follow up on that file uh, you know no big no big rush and you know and it, it was a long time ago I know how long that's going to take you know whenever you get around to it it's like see you hear that in his voice <laughs> he's definitely going to another agency got to find it yeah, it really, uh, you started to question his sanity after that. Like, oh, he just really hates her. Or how about the fact that she's had enough, so she's, she stays home sick the next day. Sick, with a cold. What does Nick Cage, her boss, do? He finds her address in the Rolodex and drives to her house and says, Hey, I know you're sick, but I know you're really angry with me. And I just wanted to let you know that it's not a big deal. I just want you to come back to work, and, and I want to make things right. So will you please get dressed? I, I know that uh, you're kind of like half naked now when I'm talking to you again. Oh, this, this is actually before the big sequence. But anyway, she's half naked, and he says, just get dressed and come with me back to work, and, and I promise I'll make things right. Okay, okay. And she gets in the taxi, and they start driving away, and then he's like, 
You're gonna find my fucking files. <laughs> yeah. And you're gonna do it now. You could just see her face just go from like, oh, okay, to just horror. <laughs> now, because now she was in a taxi with this man, and, uh... Right, yeah, there's, <sighs> there's no escape, yeah. And that's also the part where her brother comes into it because she she uh, has the taxi pull over so that she can... What did she have to get? She had an excuse to stop there, to get, pick something up. Or talk to her brother about something. Yeah, she, I just want to talk to my brother at the, yeah. the car shop. And she goes in and just asks for the gun. Yeah, at that point, you know, it, it hasn't been super bad yet. But that's what Clearly, that's why she needs a gun. Yeah. Oh, and then and then we find out that uh, she's asking for bullets for the gun. That's what it is. She has the gun without bullets, and her brother says, "Well, all I have are blanks." And she says, "Just give me the blanks, then." So there's a part where she shoots Nick Cage with the blank, and Nick, of course, is unharmed by the blank. So he assumes that it's because he has vampire powers. I mean, who who wouldn't think that? I mean, uh, the guy who played what, what? the guy who played the crow. <laughs> they were supposed to be blanks, right? Yeah. Misfired. Brandon mm. Lee. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, great time to find off. Oh, just a joke. I love the crow, <laughs> even though Nick Cage wasn't in it. Should have been. Fire it up! Fire it up! What's the what's the chance that that she's actually Nick Cage's real life assistant and this was all this was just B-roll of just their everyday interactions? In in fact, do we know definitively that to make this movie that they didn't just tell Cage that he got the role of Edward Cullen in Twilight and just followed him around with a camera crew for like a month yeah again that's that's what they did with a lot of it a lot of this stuff was was nick cage improv so a few interesting points that i i came across uh-huh the uh the vampire girl the one that played the you know the, the vampire uh-huh. she was actually hired the day before she started they started shooting okay and uh the director had a, a nightmare um, that night before going in, that uh, Nick would be displeased with with the girl that he hired for the vampire and uh-huh. pulled out two needles and stabbed them into his eyes. In, into the director's eyes? Yeah, yeah. This was the nightmare the director had the night before. That when he told Nick that he had hired this actress to to be the, to play this role, that Nick pulled out needles and stabbed him in the eye. Oh, that would have made a great scene. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, a dream and totally not a threat. I like that. <laughs> she better be hot. <laughs> or you're gonna get the needles. You know, a lot of... I noticed that a lot of, like, the Nick Cage memes that you see online were from this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, just the static screenshots of just him making weird faces. And yeah, his... I mean, he's got he's got the expressions going in this movie for sure. Crazy yeah. eyes. Gosh, and he just looks so ridiculous with those fake vampire teeth. Oh, that scene. I, that, 
so that scene he he goes into the shop and the shopkeepers is just like yeah we have these you know we just got these in they're they're made from uh what is it like acrylic and you know they they're really lifelike and he's just like oh how much how much are those uh-huh yeah he's got these fake teeth he wears them everywhere he goes to the club wearing the teeth well he buys the he buys the the three or like the three dollar ones because he's just like oh i don't have i can't afford those yeah he's like it's not not 2020 i don't have a credit card american express he had like four dollars five dollars in his wallet yeah i don't even think they were that expensive weren't they like 40 bucks or yeah it was 350 or something like that well for the 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 good ones oh they were i think they were 20 bucks yeah right so he gets like the 25 cent uh yeah i i didn't understand that either he didn't have any money like you know what i the role i thought of when i was watching this was joaquin phoenix's joker Uh you know the the method acting making your own decisions on the fly as the character it would be really cool to see a Joaquin Phoenix, Nick Cage, vampire versus Joker kind of universe harassing Gotham. I, I think that if they ever make the adaptation of Batman versus Dracula, I think we know who has to play Dracula. There we go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and there was a Easter egg. They, they showed Nosferatu on the TV. They had some vampire nods in there, but I, when you, when you mentioned the room, the room, it was obviously written and shot to be a specific kind of movie, which it ended up not becoming right with this one. I'm not sure. I get the sense that the screenwriter, um, had a very specific vision and writing it and the final product wasn't exactly what was intended, but but fairly close. I think it was meant to be a black comedy, but maybe a little smarter or more. I, I just, I don't know. I, there's something off with uh, Nick's performance and how it all came together. Like, I feel like there's there were a lot of problems in making this movie that really affected the final product. I don't, Steve might have more input on that. But do you know what I mean? Like, like finding the yeah. actress the day before shooting. Who, yeah. She's like one of the most important characters. She's the the vampire in the movie. Mm-hmm. And also, I noticed that uh, in the 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 neck biting scenes where she's topless, she has a uh, some kind of pasty on to prevent her breasts from being fully exposed. So that mm-hmm. must have probably in the contract. But I thought I only thought that was interesting because the other actress, girlfriend number one, uh, was fully naked. Mm-hmm. So it just tells me that there were some like interesting last minute details still being hashed out while they were filming this. Well, there was there was a lot of improv. There was a lot of improv in this yeah. too. Yeah. Um, a lot of things that were that were brought together from Nick's own personal experience. He mentioned that uh, a lot of his acting, a lot of the way he did things, was inspired by an unnamed family member. 
So he's not gonna say names, but yeah, Uncle Francis. Yep. Now, now his whole family is looking at themselves. Like his whole, uh, which one is his it? whole? Uh, Alma, am I getting through to you? Yeah. That, that was actually inspired by an old coach of his in okay. high school. Um, that would do the same thing to him whenever he would just blow him off. Wow. Um, the infamous uh, cockroach scene. So there was some good. There was some good banter there, right? So yeah. the, the whole aka the cockroach thing. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't tell me he really ate one. So this this started on the day before the the the, the way this movie was shot. Actually, the scenes just before the rape scene were some of the very first scenes shot in the movie. Beautiful. Yeah, and the rape scene itself. They actually the director kept everyone up overnight, so that they would just be strung out and extra crazy in the middle of the night. <laughs> okay. It's a little help every now and again. Uh, but uh, the the uh, the note right that you talked about earlier, the note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was uh, Nick was really uncooperative filming that scene. Wouldn't get in the light lighting. The director was really annoyed with him. You and, mean uh, the cage out scene? No, just before, yeah, like when he's reading the note and oh, yeah, yeah, he was very uncooperative. Um, and he, and as the director asked him, and even even during the commentary, I, I had to make note of this and quote it. Uh-huh. Nick's like, well, I mean, what did I do? Well, nothing. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. I've got to listen to this. So the following day is when they filmed the cockroach scene. And Nick did actually eat the cockroach. Shut up. And they got everything they needed in one take. But as revenge, the director made him take a second take. (laughs) 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 Oh man. Vampire's kiss. Nick even said the cockroach thing it was all a business decision for him. Okay. He, uh, he was okay. trying to one up, one up somebody. You, you, it, you, uh... John Travolta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you kind of revealed something to me, Steve. What's that? The idea that Nicolas Cage um, mocks people he doesn't like. By incorporating their mannerisms into his movies. Yeah. So that's something to be aware of. I mean, if an yeah. actor is willing to do that, that's, I don't know, that's, that's the next level uh, grudge holding. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. Well, we got we to gotta wrap this up. Vampire's Kiss. Everybody has got to see it. Every man, woman, and child needs to see it at least once. It's excellent. Every Nick Cage fan should see it at least once a year. Um, are we ready to have our proverbial cage fight now? Or is there anything else you want to add about Vampire's Kiss? Now streaming on Amazon Prime. Thank you. Forever. And I would highly recommend the commentary as a second walkthrough, or second watch through. Yeah. Yeah, you sold me on the commentary, Steve. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I'd seen this once before years and years ago, so mm-hmm. it was kind of, I was able, I couldn't remember specific dialogue, yeah. but I remember the general basis of the movie. Well, I, I'll go first then in uh, my vote for 
the cage fight winner between Moonstruck and Vampire's Kiss. I have to be honest. I had already seen Vampire's Kiss. I knew that Moonstruck would uh, definitely, it, it would be hard for it to beat Vampire's Kiss for me. Just, I mean, Vampire's Kiss is one of the movies that I think inspired us to do the podcast in the first place. Yeah. So really, it, it would have to be very, very, very good. And um, surprisingly, it was. I actually, it was, it was a lot better of a movie than I thought it was going to be. The whole, the whole um, Italian American part of it was interesting to me and drew me in. I thought Cher was a lot better. Her character was more interesting than I expected. I liked how down to earth she was. It wasn't one of those sappy um, kind of romances. It was actually kind of dark in tone at times. They talk a lot about death in it. And I, I just liked how different it was for a romantic comedy. Nick's character, of course, as I said, kind of towed the line for me. I think he did a great job, but there were moments that were a little too cagey. I don't know if that's possible, but just kind of, I felt overall hurt that movie. And then Vampire's Kiss, just, it's all uncaged cage. It's, it's just an amazing work of art. Um, you can watch it seriously and get something out of it. You can watch it as a joke and to get something out of it. It's for the whole family. It's, it's all about family. And unfortunately for uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, I'm going to have to say Vampire's Kiss is the winner. Vampire's Kiss? So for me, Moonstruck, Moon, Moonstruck Moonwalker, mm -hmm. Moon Moon, um, it was basically just the Cotton Club in color. I would like Ooh. to vote to have Steve kicked out of a late night cage fight. <laughs> Did you really just say that? Nick's character. Nick's character just... I don't know. He, he felt out of place. He felt... Okay. You just not cage. He just felt like not cage. You felt like he was too restrained, restricted with that role. Yeah, he yeah. he had he had like really the one good scene, you know, with the give me the knife, and that aside from that, yeah. it was like it was like a tease. I didn't really, you. yeah, I didn't really, yeah. You you put that in so early in the movie, and you've got to build somewhere from there, and there was no building. I agree After that, that. His, mm -hmm. his character was just very drawl and uninteresting. Yeah, that's a good point. I Like I said before, too, I thought that his character kind of hurt the movie a little bit, but it was, yeah. it was, it, it was fine with me. I give it a pass. Yeah. yeah. The movie overall, I think, was pretty good, but I, I just, I don't really feel like he grew. Yeah. But, you know, critics disagree. Critics think oh, that, yeah. that was one of his best roles, so... I wonder what they then thought about Vampire's Kiss right after that. Everyone tells him he shouldn't do the insanity roles, but he also does... I mean, everyone agrees he does insanity almost better than anyone else. Right. Right. Better than insane people. Yeah. No. Okay, so Vampire's Kiss for you. Sean? I echo a lot of what Steve said. Um... While I do think that Moonstruck is technically a better film, uh, I myself am 
I'm just not a romantic comedy guy. I I feel like we're clearly not the target demographic for this movie. And I mean, people are going going into it for sure. sure. They're, they're not going into it for Cage. And, you know, as Steve said, we get the one scene with uh, Give Me the Knife. Uh, you know, we have kind of the quirky thing where they had him have one hand for reasons. Uh, and But for the sake of this podcast, I, I honestly think we would... It would be wrong not to give it to Vampire's Kiss. I think it just has to be. You know what I just realized? He had that injury just like the Phantom in Phantom of the Opera has that injured face. <laughs> right? That's true. That's got to be where that came from, the idea for uh, that character. He's like the Phantom. Phantom Pain of the Opera. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very good observations. I, I'm a bit sad we couldn't do battle. I feel like we are eventually going to be doing some battle, though. Because it's, it's going to be hard with... Uh, so, so far we've got... Raising Arizona versus Vampire's Kiss. So, uh, yeah, we're leading up to a pretty good battle, I think. What's our next one? But I, I believe our next ones are... Oh, yeah, I guess... Time so. to Kill and... Time to Kill and Wild at Heart? Well, we got to really look at that because I have a movie on here after Vampire's Kiss called Never on Tuesday. Yeah... It says he's uncredited in that one, though. Okay, if he's not credited, we can skip it. That's fine. If it's a TV movie or an uncredited role, we're not going to count it because it's like, why wouldn't you credit Nick Cage? Yeah, I mean, he must not have that big of a part anyway, so. Yeah, so, all right. Vampire's Kiss, the winner. I think we all kind of predicted it. I was still still pleased with Moonstruck. And, uh, yeah. Thank you all for joining us for this edition of Late Night Cage Fight. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for our next cage fight, and hopefully in the near future, some nice cage fight surprises from us cage fighters. We might have some special episodes and more coming up, so stay tuned. Thanks, guys, and uh, as always... We're on Twitter now. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook... Late Night Cage Fight, thanks for joining me. We're out.